0: Hey, I'm Andrew and I'm started this empath community and I'm here today with Steve. Hi, Steve. Hey, how are you? I am doing pretty good. Also just went on a walk like you, so I'm feeling more energized. (laughs) Um, So can you tell us a little bit about yourself to get the ball rolling?
1: Sure, so hi, uh, I'm Steve. As Andrew had said, and and uh, I have one of my cats. His name is Norbu, who is sitting down right next to me, just out of view. And uh, I suspect he will be um, uh, nudging me occasionally because it's right around feeding time, and that's the way that they they remind us. But anyway, so if I get interrupted, that's that's probably what it is. Um, so. Uh, let's see I am uh, in my 50s um, and uh, only discovered uh, Andrew's uh, empath group less than a year ago amazingly it it was only last summer so sorry that doesn't mean anything so it's March now so about nine months ago or so Mm -hmm. Um, and discovered it on on the web page but you know, there was an awful lot about it that resonated and sounded just very, very familiar to me and, uh, got me interested in, uh, in, uh, in, in discovering more about the community and, uh, learning from the community. Um, so bit bit, bit about me, I'm, I'm an engineer of, uh, I have worked uh, for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration for Etoshaes, or actually, love to say us about 31 years now, um, and not looking to retire anytime soon. And um, we we've actually discussed, you know, what's it like for an empath to work at, you know, basically an organization of rocket scientists, you know, a lot of right brain people and so forth, and and it does have its it can its challenges but I also find that there are plenty of people even in an environment like NASA that are uh emotionally connected you know to themselves and and Hmm. and have a good understanding of of uh kind of their emotional state as as well so that's me
0: that's Thank you. That's, that's neat to hear actually the individuals that are also emotionally connect, connected to themselves. Cause I think we've mostly discussed in the past about um, the former. Of, yep. what's, what's it like to, do you notice much of a difference I guess, between, yes. in terms of your work relationship between the two sort of sets of individuals?
1: So in, in terms of our ability to do our technical jobs, you know, as engineers or as managers, I, I'll have to think about that a bit. I, I, my, my first reaction is no, there, there's not a lot of difference from that standpoint. It, it, it tends to be more on the interpersonal relationships that you build and who you build the interpersonal relationships with. So. The the way that I, I kind of look at it at NASA is you're 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 working in a black and white world, you know. So you're in a room and a hundred people in there are are you can visualize in black and white, but maybe two of them are in color. And those two people are the people that you know are um rate a bit higher on the empathic scale. And mm-hmm. That's a lot what, what that's a lot like what it feels like. And so you the, the, the folks like that tend to gravitate towards each other. And um and but again, that's not so much on the business side of thing. It tends to be on, you know, the interpersonal, who you make friends with and, you know, who you might go out afterwards and share a beer with and and things like that. And and also who you share, you know, aspects of of your life with. Does that make any sense,
0: Andrew? Yeah, for sure. So for the normal, whatever normal is at NASA, technical day-to-day yeah. work, it doesn't matter so much, but it sounds like more for sort of the lunchroom breaks and in-between moments, those people that are colorful, you'd share a bit more with about things non-work related.
1: Yeah, and and it's interesting. What i found is that um, it's not necessarily something that's, that's. I don't want to say this. I was going to say it's not something that's discussed. And and, and I don't mean that it's something that's hidden. What, what I mean is there's just this natural um, tendency for empathic folks to gravitate to each other. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's a conscious thing or an unconscious thing, if it's maybe sensed or something like that. But m- most of the people that I can feel comfortable with, and I think, the reverse is true, also. Um, I think tend to be people who are more connected to their emotional side and have the ability to read emotions from other people. And 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 there's a lot of people at NASA that don't. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people at NASA that tends to shield themselves from uh, from even their own emotions uh, for for whatever reason, but. Um, So do you enjoy working there then? So, so the, the, the answer is, so I'll say a couple things. Um, the, the short answer is yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yes, sir. Okay. (laughs) Um, but, but some of that is just due to the fact that I've always been passionate about the, the kind of stuff that, that NASA does even before I've, you know, I started working there. It's you know, it's, it's one of those things where, where they talk about, you know, I can't believe they pay me to do this.
0: Uh, And,
1: you know, we just, so in February, so a month ago, we landed a a one ton rover on the surface of Mars through a a very high risk contracted process and mechanism of, uh, of uh, you know, it enters a Martian atmosphere at, seven times, about 7,000 miles an hour or so. And in less than 10 minutes, it comes to a stop. It's slowed by parachutes first uh, Mm. that deploy supersonically. And then eventually when it gets to about 200 feet above the surface, um, uh, there's uh, the top portion of the lander will fire eight rocket engines and lower on a cable the 100 the 100 the the one ton actual rover such that it sets down very very gently onto the surface so think about you know the size of a of a mini cooper
0: and Mm -hmm. it's hanging
1: from this rocket about a 100 feet in the air being lowered on a cable and then when it touches down then the cable disconnects and the rocket portion flies away and and eventually crashes and that's that's what, you know, it's, it's crazy to even conceive of something like that, but that's the way that they found they would land a one ton rover on the surface of another planet. And so it, even the people who, who worked on it, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they pay me <laughs> to, to do this stuff, you know, it's just so cool. Uh, I've, I've always felt about NASA that way. Ha- having said that, NASA also always rates really, really high Uh, in kind of employee satisfaction, compared with like other government agencies. Mm. So there's something also culturally about folks that work at NASA that seems to work really, really well also.
0: Wow. Yeah. It really just sounds like a little boy's dream. (laughs) and And girls too. Cool. Yeah. I mean, and particularly I feel like space exploration is becoming more widely shared and the net excitement about it is increasing, which is it's just is a whole lot of coolness and awesomeness, which sort of just feels like younger languaging to explain a highly sophisticated technical job.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's always been satisfying in the, and, and of course, this doesn't have anything to do with em, empaths, but it's fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the early part of my career, I spent 11 years working in mission control in, in Houston, working space shuttle flights. And there is always just this. It, it's interesting, I was actually explaining this to somebody, I, I would come in, To work a shift when a shuttle was on orbit. And it could be any time of the day at all, you know, just just depending upon the 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 shift and when we launched and so on and so forth. So there there were times when I'd be coming in at like one or two in the morning for you know my nine hour shift. And I come in and and I park my car in the parking lot outside the control center, and you know, it looks just like a parking lot. There's a bunch of cars there, and there's lines painted on the road, and there's you know street lights that are illuminating and sidewalks, and mm-hmm. th- th- there's nothing at all that that um, that you know indicates that anything is is interesting is happening there.
0: Mm-hmm. But then I
1: I direct my gaze over to the control center, and the control center is basically a big box. It's uh it's six stories tall with no windows. It looks like a big box. Okay. But I'd be standing out there, you know, at two in the morning in the parking lot. And you could almost feel the energy radiating from that building because, you know, there's this direct connection between that building and whatever's going on 250 miles above the earth, you know, in orbit. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I can remember feeling that. And I don't know how to, except for like this, this radiated energy that something very, very special is happening in there. You know, it's a regular parking lot outside.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Once, once you go through the doors, then you're in this really special place. That's really connected to a very unique, you know, environment, which is, you know, what it's like in space on orbit. And, um, and you know that's that's not something that that you know NASA could put in a recruiting brochure, <laughs> you know. Mm. But but it it you could definitely feel that sort of that sort of you know uniqueness and coolness and and um, and, uh, and, and 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 you know one one of the other really really great things also is that is that for a good bit of the time when shelves in communication, they would be downlinking videos of the earth from orbit. Wow, yeah. Um, and, you know, I'd be sitting there on console and yes, I'm supposed to be, you know, looking at the data, <laughs> <laughs> you know, monitoring my systems and so on and so forth. But every once in a while, I just look over at, at the TV, it sits on top of my console and, and just be, carried away at the incredible beauty of the planet that we live on when you're looking at from you know 200 miles on mm-hmm. orbit and moving five miles a second and you can really get lost in that um, it's and so at, at the end of every shuttle flight when the shuttle would return and land on a runway and come to what we call wheel stop and so forth, And, you know, you've been spending the last 5, 10, 15 days working this flight, sometimes at crazy hours. There's always, I always got this real sense of satisfaction and contribution, you know, Mm. that I played a small role, but, you know, I played at least even a small role. I played a role in, in helping something like that succeed. You know in in a shuttle mission so and and the guys that land spacecraft on on mars you know they 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 i'm sure they just get thrilled by doing what they get to do and
0: uh so (sighs) it's just mind-blowing in a peaceful way for me yeah (laughs) yeah that that that
1: should be i'm gonna i'm gonna send that on to our our education and public outreach folks that, you know, they'll create a poster. NASA, mind-blowing in a peaceful way. I like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's great. Yeah, watch it. Watch it. You know, watch for it on a NASA poster near you.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you, when when you're watching those images of Earth, I've, I've read bits and seen a few documentaries of astronauts in their and them describing the experience of looking at Earth and how they feel. Um wondering if you share any of that. It sounds like you do a bit, at least, looking at the okay. live stream.
1: So so you can, but you can't recreate what they are experiencing by watching it on TV, you know, on the ground. So uh, but I, I, I've worked with lots and lots of astronauts and, and I can tell you a couple stories. So the, uh, one flight, this was in 1991, I want to say, um, and it was a five day shuttle mission. And I was working particularly closely with this, with this crew of, of, uh, of five astronauts because they were, um, Performing something that required me to help train them, um, and so the, and so they 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 launched and they they performed their mission, came back and and so forth. And I was talking with one of the crew members after they came back, and she told me about one one of the uh, evenings. You know, everything is is relative we you know they get 16 sunrises and sunsets every day so wow. you know day, day has different meanings but um you know they, they it, it, shuttle flights they would typically work like a 16 hour shift and then you know the work day and then they would uh, have eight hours to sleep mm-hmm and uh, and typically at that during that sleep period, the ground, mission control would sign off with the crew, say, good night, we'll talk to you, you know, in eight hours. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it would be quiet. There, there'd be no communication, you know, because we want we want to give them a chance to sleep. And she said the the, the first or second day they were on orbit. So they, they was, everything was quiet. You know, they spent the whole day deploying satellites and doing experiments and being very, very busy. Now it's just the five of them on their own. And so they gathered up on the flight deck. So the shuttle has two levels to it. And the flight deck is like a cockpit, Uh, lots of switches and circuit breakers, but it's also where all the windows are, 10 windows. And they gathered up on the flight deck and um, they just spent about the next hour. And she she likened it to sitting around a campfire. Because they were just swapping stories, looking out into the universe. Mm -hmm. And and when you're on the night side, the shadow side of the earth, stars are just incredibly vibrant, you know, because you're above the atmosphere. And so they were contemplating all these philosophical questions and, you know, the size of the universe and all, all the types of stuff that you might do sitting around a campfire. Mm-hmm. But they were doing it orbiting the Earth. <laughs> Good you know? grief and, and, and I always thought that was just so cool, you know, <laughs> just just imagining that. But it 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 it's also kind of exactly what I would want to do if I was, you know, on orbit, mm. in, in space, doing something exactly like that. Also, I always thought that was just very very cool.
0: I'm kind of speechless just imagining it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, but I know, and, and so, you know, it's going back to what I talked about at the beginning. Some astronauts are all work and business and don't take the time to reflect on where they are and the extraordinary experience that that they're, they're, you know, that they're living. But there are plenty of astronauts who do take that time. And um, you know, mm-hmm. even ones from a purely military background, they kind of associate with, with astronauts. Um there's there's a book from a from an astronaut who he retired many, many years ago, and, and I was sharing some emails with him recently. And you know, he's former military, former air force, and uh very um male, <laughs> I <laughs> would say, in a sense of but he, he writes this absolute prose in his book about what it's like just to view down to view the earth from you know 150 miles up
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um and you know the, the the guy's a military pilot he's not a poet mm-hmm. but it the experience struck him in a way that really made him go eloquent <laughs> you know so even even the logical, you know, right side of the brain, people, something like that can can the, the beauty of the earth and the beauty of the universe around us can still really touch people in very, very emotional ways.
0: That's hmm. it sort of sounds like some sort of deeper philosophical nature beauty sort of cracks through even the most more hardened types yeah, yeah. Types.
1: so there there's a book by some astronaut i don't know him in and, and the, the book came out like 30 years ago or something and it's called the overview effect
0: yes that's the phrase i was thinking of
1: yeah and, and it basically has to do with seeing the planet from the perspective of, you know, being on on in orbit, or even like what the Apollo astronauts got to experience of, you know, seeing the entire planet, you know, out their window, because mm-hmm. as they're, as they're going to the moon or coming back from the moon. It, it, it really changes your perspective about life and about the importance of mundane things, and uh, a, an awful lot of them talk about um, how incredibly thin the atmosphere looks from space. So you know the the the, the Earth is eight thousand miles in diameter, and the atmosphere is is um, don't ask me to do any math now, but you know, maybe let's say 12 miles high is the atmosphere. So it's this 12 mile high thing surrounding an 8,000 mile ball, whatever that percentage is. And so there there are times, you know, I said that they, they see 16 sunrises and sunsets in a day when the sun sets. And so they can actually sort of look at the limb of the earth and see you know, the atmosphere from the sun behind it, Yeah, it looks incredibly thin A- and it is but that atmosphere supports all life on the face of the planet, you know and mm. so we, we don't think about it, you know li- living down here in that ocean which is an atmosphere but, you know, it's incredibly fragile mm. and, and it is just this thin tiny little thin sliver compared with the rest of the planet and it sustains all life and always has sustained all life for for billions of years you you don't get that perspective unless you see it from their vantage point you know And, and a lot of them didn't realize that until they got up there and then it has this profound effect on the way that they view the planet and you know how precious it is, and, and things like that.
0: Steve, with your interactions with the, I guess astronauts in particular, has it had a effect on how you perceive life here?
1: Well, so um, it, it's 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 interesting. You would think that all astronauts are the same. They're not.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: uh, even in in that small group you still get a cross-section of humanity and I don't mean race creed or you know anything like that I mean in terms of, of personality and in terms of uh, human traits and characteristics and and so forth the, the astronauts definitely don't come out of a single mold mm. uh, we still get a cross-section of humanity you know with that so like I said some are some are just, Plain business, and that's it. And others are much, much more philosophical, and have the ability to be philosophical. Um, and and you know, so so I. You get a perspective on on humanity just just from that, um, and it sort of teaches you not to not to make assumptions or to stereotype based on perceptions, you know. Um, but um, it, it's, you know, and, and so th- there will be a day, not too long in the future. Like I said, when, when I was working console and, and a shuttle would be on orbit and it would be, you know, beamed down, just video from orbit, th- th- there will be a day, not too long in our lifetimes, when there'll be something like that orbiting Mars. Mm. And, you know, like so. Right now, I could turn on. Right now, I could stream a NASA TV showing video down Lake from the International Space Station. Right now, um, you know, it's 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 streamed on the on the NASA TV channel. Um, there There will be a day, ten years, twenty years in the future, whatever, in which you turn on your TV and you flip to NASA, and you can watch you know, the surface of Mars orbiting beneath you from hmm. you know, spacecraft that's that's sending, you know, real time signals back to Earth. You know, and you can you can actually and, and and actually what will be even more cool, I think, is you put on your Oculus headset or whatever and you do it yeah. in a virtual reality environment. Yeah that that, that will be neat. <laughs> you know, and that's that's not science fiction. Really?
0: Actually, I was just thinking back in the day, having sort of screen savers on my computer of, of space and <laughs> yeah. how this will be a live stream in the future. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> huh. So tell me a bit about your, your empath journey.
1: <laughs> um, so um, I did not... Come to a realization of being empathic until I was in my early 40s probably Um, or at least I didn't come to a realization that that was even a thing Mm -hmm. into my into my early 40s and but then after I did a a lot of things started to make a lot more sense to me in terms of how I react around certain people in terms of um, how I, you know, can feel uncomfortable in crowds. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of um, you know, just, just there, there are times when I can feel frustrated or giddy or, you know, a, a whole suite of different emotions with, with absolutely no stimulus you know, and no reason why I'm all of a sudden, God, why am I anxious? You know, I, was, I wasn't anxious five minutes ago, you know, and I'm not thinking about anything, but my gosh, you know, I really feel anxious now. And so I, I discovered it, you know, just doing, and I really don't remember exactly where I came across um, the ideas of, of empathic people. Um, I, I, I wanna say, and this is, and this is not true, but I want to say it actually came from Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's one episode in the, the original series of Star Trek called The Empath. Really? Where, oh. Yeah. And, and in, in that formulation, that Empath takes on uh, physical injuries
0: mm-hmm. of
1: the crew members out of compassion. Mm. And she, she sacrifices her own level of comfort and security in order to alleviate you know physical injuries of of people that she basically just met that that was the the morality play of that particular episode but um but you know 10-15 years ago I, I somehow came across this idea that you can um that there are you know, there are receiving empaths and transmitting empaths. And, you know, transmitting empaths, sort of, just like the word says, transmits their feelings to other people and can affect the emotional state of people around them receiving empaths, you know, can very, very easily pick up the emotional state of people around them. And, and to some extent, take that on. And that when 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 I first came across that, then literally, you know light bulb went off in in me because that's much of what I have been living for a good bit of my life without being able to um, conceptualize it. you know, i I know what I feel and, and I know how I reacted to things, but i've I wasn't able to conceptualize it in in that sort of uh, frame or reference. And once I did, then a lot of things, then my own you know life and the way that, that I reacted and so forth started to make a lot more sense. Um, and so I, I feel like that I'm on this continual journey. You know, it'll probably never end. Um, I'll probably continue to learn about empathic abilities and empathic people you know, for the, for the rest of my life and, and still never fully figure it out. Mm. But, um, but I, I, you know, I have, and it's more, Andrew, it's more than just intellectual curiosity, you know, because it's, it's like, I, it's like understanding that helps me understand myself and gives me um, um, a tool that I can use to understand how I, react to certain things or whatever. And, um, and, and that's for, for me personally, that's the way that I deal with a lot of things is I want to get an understanding of it. And, and and once I do, then I can deal with it a lot better, you know, having that, that level of understanding and, and I can explain, you know, why something happened within me and that sort of thing. So, that that's what brought me to you, Andrew. Mm. Is is just wanting to continue this journey of exploration and education and knowledge and 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 part of it is to understand the rest of humanity better, but a big part of it really is to understand myself better.
0: You almost it almost feels like you just described the mission of like NASA. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. There's there's that 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 tennyson poem and and i can't uh, i'm not going to quote it because i i don't remember the whole thing but it basically has to do with with travel and exploration and the and the last line is you know looking back at the place that you came from and understanding it for the first time yeah you know that's that's i mean that's nasa but that's also kind of the way that i perceive you know my my Journey of un- understanding, empathic, and empathy too.
0: So, so now I'm curious, what you have? Look, you're talking about receiving and transmitting empath. Do do you uh, which which camp would, do you fall into? Do you feel? Oh,
1: c- clearly, I'm a receiving mm. empath uh, because I have a tendency to just naturally dial into people's emotions um and and i think there's there's an in certainly there's an innate ability in every single person on the planet i mean you know laughter is contagious Mm. you know you walk into a room and everyone's crying and you know other people start to cry people people can pick up emotional states but they usually pick it up you know from visual cues that sort of thing Um, I I can tend to walk into a room and pick up an emotional state just without, you know, even if the room is dark or I don't see the person in it or, you know, I I don't have to rely on the visual cues. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so for example, one of the things that I never really understood until I started to learn about this was, just that sensation of getting completely overwhelmed in, in a crowd. And that feeling of relief, that feeling of of being able to to breathe by stepping outside and just sort of breaking that that, you know, getting out of that environment. And I, I've felt that way pretty much my entire life. But again, I, ne- I I never could explain it until you know I insta- until I started being able to understand uh, uh, about you know empathic people and so forth. Um, but I, I, you know, many times in my life, I'd be in a in, in a room um, with you know dozens or hundreds of people or what have you, and um, and it doesn't really a lot of times it doesn't really matter what my emotional state was going into it. There there just comes a point when um I just have to step outside.
0: Mm.
1: And um and and you know, part part of the education for, for me, which I still am nowhere near proficient at is understanding how I can, you know, sort of shield myself in that environment and how I can not be so susceptible to just absorbing all that emotional energy like a sponge. Mm. Um, I I still have a lot to learn about that. And I want to, you know. Um, I, I tend to get much more, a much stronger reaction also by negative emotions. Um, I, I mean, I, 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 I actually do believe that love is the strongest force in the universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's stronger than gravity. It's stronger than electromagnetism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I, I do feel that, that love is actually the, the uh, a very, very strong force. Ha- having said that, I find that I tend to um, internalize, and uh, I intend to feel the negative emotions um, very, very strongly. Um, and so, na- negative—I mean, you know, anger, sure, but there's also, you know, frustration, and um, and um, and dissatisfaction. Sometimes even envy. I, I can for some reason, pick up those emotions from other people. And, um, and it has a very, very visceral reaction in me because I don't enjoy negative emotions. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: um, and, and maybe that's why I feel it stronger. You know, I, I don't know, but, um, you know, my, my wife and I have been married for, for 10 years and they've been wonderful years. And I'm still even after 10 years, learning to figure out what's her emotions and what are my emotions. Mm. Um, Particularly when it comes to things like frustration or agitation or anxiety. Mm. Um, it, It happens all the time. And all of a sudden, I'll start to feel anxious about something. And then notice that, you know, my wife is worried about, you know, Uh, something she has to do on her job the next day or, or something like that. And, um, and, and and, Andrew, that's another skill that I need to build within myself is to be able to separate those two things and, uh, and to understand what's, you know, what's, what's my emotions versus what are the things that I pick up from, from other people. Because to me, it feels the same. Feels exactly the same inside me. Yeah, you know, if I if I sense or picking up frustration or anxiety from my wife, I feel that. You know, and it has exactly the same physiological effect on me as if I was frustrated or uh, or uh, or anxious or whatever. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it it does, and. So, so have you spoken with your wife much about this?
1: Yeah. So, so a little bit, it, it, it's interesting that I think my wife is an empath also, but she's a different kind of empath. My wife has this, uh, this very, very close connection um, with nature, with trees, particularly trees, but also just with, with nature in, in general. So you know, and so there, there's lots and lots of stuff that I've read about for for just humanity in general. You know, if you're feeling uptight, go out and take a walk in nature, and mm-hmm. you know, and commune with nature, and it has a calming effect. My my wife actually, she she does that, but it's at a much more intimate level. Um, and so, you, you know, she 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 sees. Like sometimes you'll see a tree that's cut down. You know, our neighbors will cut down a tree or, yeah. or something for whatever reason, and she almost feels that pain. From mm. the, I mean, it, it has a really profound effect on her when she sees um, destruction uh, of nature, and mm-hmm. and so the the and so and I, I can't remember if I I mentioned this to you or or someone someone else she she loves to occasionally go out and sleep in the backyard at Mm -hmm. night she'll bring a sleeping bag but in doing that she has this physical connection with you know what whether it's nature or whether it's the energy you know of the planet or or what have you um she she's very very intimate with that
0: hmm.
1: and and very empathic with that not so much with people <laughs> <laughs> you know she 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 doesn't she doesn't pick up emotions of other people the, the the way that I can but she definitely picks up something from from nature hmm. and it's very very similar to em- empathic skills that you and I talk about
0: yeah Yeah. How how have you gone so far with um figuring out how to s- separate what is yours versus hers? Um
1: yeah, so my initial reaction was not very well. <laughs> and, and and maybe it's just because I want to get much, much better at it. I, I you know I, I think over 10, 15 years of, of working at that. I've only got to the point of recognizing that what I'm feeling may not be my own.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: and mean, that's as far, which is, you know, not very far down the path mm-hmm. of, of, you know, and so that that's a, a cognitive realization, you know, a, a logical sort of realization. but But in terms of really trying to separate it, and or to compartmentalize it or even even better at least i think it's better shielding it and and just preventing me from picking up or, or or maybe the first thing is you recognize it and then you can employ whatever means or methods or process to try to you know shield yourself from it i i haven't gotten there yet you know i'm still definitely working on trying to do that
0: so, so no insights or success yet around a type of shielding
1: well so so there there's so no that, that certainly not the way that i envisioned i would like to be mm-hmm. so i mean but there, there's there's simple and obvious things like removing yourself from from the environment yeah you know and that does work so you know if if sometimes you know if if my my, my wife or somebody else or whatever is, is very agitated, very anxious, very frustrated or whatever. I I do find that, 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 you know, going out for a walk, getting some distance, removing myself from that, um, does have a positive effect. And, Mm um, and and so I don't know if it's a physical distance sort of thing, but, um, but yeah, I, I can do that. And that does sort of clear my head, uh, so to speak. Um, but you know, where, where I would like to get, I don't, I don't know if it's possible. I don't. You know, maybe I'm just kidding myself. But where I'd like to get is to learn some method or technique to where I could be in that environment and I could um, either separate, like you said, those feelings that I'm taking in and perceiving versus my own and, or, or just figure out a way to just shield myself from feeling those, those things at all. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that looks like. You know, I mean, I could, I could imagine an energy barrier around me, you know, and these other people's emotions just bouncing off. Uh, but I haven't
0: found that to be wholly effective in <laughs> um, yeah, and, and the act I'm, of actually imagining it.
1: Yeah, well, well no, I, I, I can imagine it, but um, but I'm not sure that it actually has any any effect or not and, and maybe that's that's you know maybe it's a technique that I just need to learn a lot more about and become more proficient. I don't know, you know. But um but I would like to get to to that point someday is as much as anything else just to protect myself, you know, and not have to just run out <laughs> when, when I'm feeling overwhelmed because you know I'm I'm carrying the emotional baggage of two people or, or twenty people or whatever. Yeah. You know.
0: Is this is this When you say big events, or lots of groups of people, what about your work? Is do you do you find like a struggle day to day just being around lots of people? Are you around lots of people?
1: Well, so so for the last year, no.
0: Yes, (laughs) obviously.
1: (laughs) So so that's been wonderful. You know, COVID is a horrible, horrific thing, but it's been great from that standpoint that you know I could just from home. Um, the, the answer to your question is no. I, I mean, so, so it, it depends. You know, there, there are meetings that I have, and there might be, you know, two or three people. And I could generally handle those sorts of things uh, unless the emotional state of someone in there is really, really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are plenty of times when I'm in a room with 20, 30, 40. People, you know, in a conference room. And it's a closed environment. And, um, and so I stay focused on the discussion and so on and so forth. But when, you know, after two or three hours, let's say we take a 10 minute break. And I get up and I leave the room and I go back to my office. And I close the door. The, the, there is such a feeling of relief. Mm. Of um and it's difficult to describe. It, it is tangible, but it's almost ephemeral. You know, it's 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 um it's just you know, it's like you, I walk into my office and I close the door and I sit down at my desk and I just let out this long breath.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <sighs> eh. It's, it's, uh, I'll give you an analogy. So that, and, and, and unfortunately I don't ride a motorcycle anymore, but when for about 15 years, I rode a number of different motorcycles and I, I would notice that when, and I wouldn't notice it until I come to a stop a street light or a stop sign or something like that. But every time I came to a stop, I always let out this breath and I realized that because when I'm riding my body is somewhat tense, you know, mm-hmm. be- because you have to stay reactive on a, on a motorcycle. You have to be able to to react very very quickly and you know, your both hands and both feet are in motion. Yeah. And you know, it's sort of a choreography to ride a motorcycle. But also just from a safety standpoint, you have to be really really vigilant at paying attention to everything around you. I, I come to like a, a stop sign or a street light and I just let out this breath. You know, it's a moment of relaxation where the stress can just poof, go away. That That's what it feels like when I leave a meeting and go back to my office for five minutes and close the door. It's just, I let out that breath. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah. Steve, with, with the, that first, was it Star Trek episode called The Empath? It sounds like that person was not only perceiving other people's states, but uh, taking them on and processing them for those other individuals. Physically. Yeah. Physically. Yeah. Uh, as in like taking on their physical pain and injuries.
1: Yeah. Li- literally. So in in the episode and, and so we, we, we could, we could talk for hours about this Star Trek episode, but So it's members, you know, Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, Dr. McCoy, all that. And they get kidnapped. Uh, And the only person that they see there is this woman who is this empath. And she is part of a species that uh, these two other creatures, let's say aliens, are conducting this experiment because they want to see if, the empath species can evoke compassion because they see that as the future of her species. And so they inflict injuries on the, you know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy. They, they inflict physical injuries and pain on them to test this empath and see if she would, out of compassion, take on their pain. Um, because again she they're they're trying to instill that they they see compassion as as you know a su- success of a species. Mm. Um, and that's what the episode is about and and eventually she does and you know they are all happy success and so forth but um, but yeah so they infit, inflict internal injuries external you know car cuts and scars and things like that but also you know, hemorrhaging internally and and all sorts of really horrific stuff. And she's frightened because she knows that doing this is going to cause her pain. But eventually Mm -hmm. she she goes and, and empathically, you know, takes on their injuries. And when she does, their injuries disappear. And she does it out of a sense of compassion.
0: So for you... Do you find that you take on other people's stuff to some degree and process it for them?
1: Um, So so that's an excellent question. Um, So one of the things that I have read about empathic people um, and very, very similar to that Star Trek episode is that many of them tend to be healers in a community. Um, and I have always felt a very strong, um, not duty or purpose, but almost a a compulsion to, you know, when I see someone who's troubled, I want to alleviate their, their trouble. When I see someone in pain, I want to alleviate their pain. I, I can definitely, um, associate that with the, the character in the Star Trek episode. So um, yeah, I, I, I often feel compelled to do that because I don't like to see suffering. Um, and, and, and you see, you, you read about also a lot of empathic people that, that just can't watch violence you know, in the movies or, or whatever. That's definitely me, I, I, I do not like to see suffering. And when I do, I, I often feel compelled to do something to, to, to help that person. Um, so what, whether I, you know, if I, if I see someone who's crying like a coworker and, you know, it happens occasionally, you know, people just get overwhelmed by something and, or someone will stop by my office and come in and just break down or whatever you know I I, I I listen to them and so forth, but I also feel what they feel. and um maybe maybe that's why I feel compelled, you know, to try to help and and to listen and and, and by helping, a lot of times, all it is is just listening compassionately, you know. And, and usually at the end of that, they, they feel better just being able to get it off their chest. But, um, but that's hard a lot of times for me, Andrew, because when they're crying, I can feel, you know, that inside me as well. And, uh, and I'm not, uh, I'm not crazy about crying. (laughs) It's not one of my favorite activities, you know, but but in answer to your question whether i actually take that on or not with the intent of alleviating them of that i don't know honestly i i know that i do probably take some of it on and i do feel compelled to help or or heal but whether i actively do it like the character in the star trek episode i i really don't know
0: It certainly sounds like you do help uh, some people anyway. Do you, do you find people come to your office much? Like you yeah. are that guy that people go to? <laughs> yeah. So
1: the, the, the way that I, so yeah, for, for for better or worse, it happens all the time. And, and the way that that I've come to describe it is, I tend in the in the office environment that I work in, which is you know maybe about fifty people or so. I tend, I, I describe myself as the bartender of that organization because <laughs> yeah, people come <laughs> into my office all the time and they sit down and they just talk, you know, mm-hmm. and and maybe not a hundred times out of a hundred. Because every once in a while I, I am actually doing something that I, I have to do, you know. But most of the time I'll drop, I'll just stop what I'm doing and, and just listen, you know, and and talk it through with them and so forth. And, uh, and uh, so yes, <laughs> I, I do find that uh, for better or worse. So, okay. Um.
0: maybe to just open things up. If there was something else in your empath life that we haven't touched on, that feels important to you, um, have we missed anything? So that's, that's,
1: that's probably a good question to wrap it up. Um, and, and I'll have to think about it a bit. Um, so a, again, I, I still, I feel, I mean, I'm 56 years old, but I feel like I have a lot to learn, you know, that I, I am in no way um, an expert, you know, and, and I've, been, I've been on this path of learning for 15 years and I'm still feel like I'm a novice and there's still an awful lot about this that I have to, to discover. Um, but what, one of the things that, and and again, this has been sort of slow. Oh, what's the, what's the, there's a term for it, not slow realization, but, um, um, anyway, um, is that before I I first got exposed to, you know, the, the whole idea, let's say 15 years ago, um, I don't think I understood myself very well as a person. Um, again, in terms of how I react to certain situations, why I react to certain situations, and 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 things like that, jumping on to this train, you know, this journey of of learning, I do really feel like I have come to know myself better. As a person, and understand um, myself better as a person, um, I, I got a long, long way to go, for sure. But um, I, I do feel like I, I you know, that the, the, it, it's. I'll put it this way: it's gotten to the point now when I can react to something, and I understand why I'm reacting to something. Um, and that didn't really happen until I started this, this journey of understanding. Um, so I, I, I guess in a nutshell, I feel like I have, I have made progress in understanding myself as a person better and understanding, you know, my buttons, you know, in, in the context of pushing people's buttons. I understand my buttons. A lot better now
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um and I I can almost I'm gonna I'm gonna struggle explain this it's almost like being able to see myself from outside you know from outside myself and 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 see and again it all to me it all comes down to just having an understanding of of why I react to certain people or certain situations or or what have you um, in in the ways that that I do. Um, so for 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 uh, this is this is a little bit different, but you know th- there's and I can't remember who the psychologist was that came up with the term, but it's related to. Empath, but is not the same as empath, and they, they refer to it as highly sensitive people. Mm. And highly sensitive people—they're not talking about you know people with thin skins and you know get insulted easily. That's that's not what it it, it is. But you know the, the the empath and the ability to to tap into other people's emotions is is part of it. But things like loud noises. Um is one of the characteristics of highly sensitive people. And so it, it, you know I I can and my wife is the same way you know we both get um we're, we're both very very sensitive to to really loud noises you know like lawnmowers and car horns and and stuff like that um, and before that, uh, all I knew be, before I like came across that that, whether it's impasse or a highly sensitive person or or whatever before, that all I knew is that it, it just affected me. You know, if I if if something like that, I just want to, you know, there's a fight or flight sort of reaction, and you know, it 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 has a physical effect on me and so forth. And then after I learned about this and learned that it was kind of common for you know this group of people, then I could I could intellectualize it and i could have an understanding of why i react to to those things cuz it's in the context of being an empath or being a highly sensitive person or or what have you and that that gives me sort of a tool that i'm still trying to figure out how to really use but i'm trying to use it to you know to to understand myself and maybe even predict how i might react in a situation and, um, or, 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 or possibly even counter-react and make sure I don't go down a negative path when, you know, I get exposed to, to those sorts of things. So, um, so, um, so that's, that's what I'd say about that, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Steve. You, I love how you embody the explorer and the scientist going both internally and, your day job exploring the universe it's still fun
1: it always will be fun
0: great all right well thank you very much it's been a pleasure to hang out and chat about two just awesome topics
1: okay well thanks for asking i appreciate it
0: okay bye